But I also enjoyed the user experience side because so many of the decisions you make while you're designing will affect the users and it's going to make or break their experience, which I think is why user experience is so important these days because apps are getting more advanced, a lot more buttons, a lot more features, gestures, and things like that. Welcome to the What is UX podcast the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pongpat. On this episode, we have the amazing Howard Pinsky. Hi there. Hey. So if you've been living under a design rock and have never heard of Howard, so Howard streams for Adobe Live. And prior to that, you also have your own YouTube channel with like, what, half a million subscribers now? Getting there. Give or, give or take, almost. Yeah. 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 That's quite amazing. So, you know, the what is the clickbait headline? It's like, how does one get a job, you know, designing on camera? <laughs> get paid to do that. <laughs> Man, it's been a it's been a long journey. When I had to drop out of school in it was college in 2016, I want to say. I was 18, I think, or 19. And I needed something to keep myself busy. And that's right around the time when I found YouTube. So I jumped on that. Did I say 2016? Yeah, you said 2016. I you was must like, have been man. very confused. I was like, man, you look old for Dude, 2006. <laughs> okay, 2006. Yeah, right around the, the time timeline. YouTube started to pop up. No one really knew what YouTube was. It was just this thing that was there with cat videos. So I figured, you know, I use Photoshop all the time let's just create a Photoshop tutorial and see what happens. It was terrible. It was the worst thing in the world, still on my channel. It's like a four by three video. I don't know, 130 aspect dementia or whatever. It's just a bad video. But but because no one was really doing that stuff at the time on YouTube, it just took off. So I continued on that path. And, you know, I had jobs here and there, like actual day jobs. But my ultimate goal was to eventually join Adobe in some capacity because I was a Photoshop user. I was an educator and I, I just saw myself going down that path. So I kept pushing at it and it took, gosh, it took a long time, but you know, I started as a contractor doing a few videos and courses here and there. And then eventually it led to the role I'm in now. So the takeaway is basically start doing the job before you even get, get it. Just, just basically start doing it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's almost literally what happened with the XD evangelist role. You know, I was looking, I was at a previous company and I was happy there, but there were operational changes. They were bought out, I think twice. And I kind of saw the writing on the walls that, you know, maybe my position might not be there in a while. So I started looking for new things and, you know, I was always kind of keeping up to date with what Adobe might need. And they had a position for, I think it was, what was it? Community engagement manager, I think for the XD side. So really engaging with the community. And I don't know exactly what it would entail, but once I saw that and I started talking with Adobe, I started creating videos on Adobe XD because previously it was just Photoshop. That's, that was my thing. And I, typically didn't strive away from that because it's always difficult on YouTube when you upload something different. Even if it's kind of in the same family, XD is different than Photoshop. So I, you know, I was hesitant to do that, but I decided, you know, I was using XD for a while. So I just, I made a video or two knowing that I could potentially get an interview at Adobe. And once I finally got that interview, it was a whole day of interviews, 
but they had seen those videos previously. So that definitely helped. And then at some point in the process, I don't know where that happened. They just said, you know, we're going to change this to an evangelist role, which is, it's just an honor to be even, you know, mentioned in the same name as, you know, Terry and Paul and Jason and, you know, the whole team. So yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how that happened, but it just worked out. Yeah. And in terms of, I'm looking at those at Iceflow Studios, was that just the, the name of your company to, to hold like something legal entity for your YouTube? It was. Yeah. I, can't, I forget where, when exactly I came up with it. It was in high school at some point I was designing and I always had a dream about designing professionally and what can I call my company? And I was, I don't know, 16 or 17 going by the name of Howard Pinsky. It didn't sound very exciting. So I came up with the name studios and I ran with that for a while. Then it finally, I think it was, when was it? Probably 2015 or something, maybe a bit earlier than that. I realized that if I want to be looked at as a professional in the space, I can't hide behind a username and, a, and an avatar. So I switched over to Howard Pinsky for everything. And, and I think it, that helped a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. My, my team was uh, super, you know, excited when we were working on a project together and then your name came up and then one of my designers geeked out and like, Oh, we're going to be working with Howard Spinsky. Like, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it it was like a a moment of kind of hero worship. So that was cool. Yeah. So it, I see in your bio that it says YouTube partner, you partnered with YouTube. Was there some official sponsorship from YouTube other than the ad revenue or? No, not really. So back when, so I think in 2008, now that I have my time frame correct, YouTube introduced their partner program, maybe it's 2007. That's shortly after when they got bought, bought by Google, I think. And at the time it was like a very exclusive club. You had to be making pretty decent content. You had to have a decent following and decent view count. And at the time I was doing very well. I was seeing like 2 million views per month. I wish I got even close to that now. But so YouTube invited me in 2008 to the partner program. Nowadays, basically anybody with a channel over, I think 30 days and a small amount of video views can become a partner. So it doesn't really mean much now, but back in the day, if you told people you're a YouTube partner, you would either get the what the heck is YouTube response or, <laughs> oh my God, how do I become a partner? I've been trying to do that forever. So it was fun to throw in your resume at, up until a certain point. Now it's fair uh, game. They just hand it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, Basically. Just, oh, bummer. Yeah. I've always been impressed. So I'm going to just uh, pimp your Twitter and, and YouTube, but it's the stuff you put out on the clips and the animations and the features of Adobe XD are, are really impressive. So it's like you get a really fun job of just, designing and then just showing that off it's man i i wish like a younger version of me kind of knew about that this was even possible <laughs> yeah i honestly can't complain about what i do it's just the other day i posted the that winamp skin it was an xd themed winamp skin and i literally spent almost all day creating that and at the end of the day i thought exactly that i can't believe I, i'm able to do this just sit behind my computer and design weird things like this because I'm going to use it. I'm going to redesign it during one of my future master classes. It's just so cool. I can just do this all day and design some professional looking things, some ridiculous looking things. It's a fun job. I enjoy it. It is is totally. Let me uh, see if I can just quickly share. This is what you're talking about. Let me see. Where is the screen? Oh, there it is. Yeah. So that's yeah. part of it. And then this morning I released a video. But uh, yeah, I'm also working on a Photoshop one and taking that and reskinning it a little bit to look like Photoshop. Nice, nice. Yeah. So yeah, are you actually making it a, a skin, like a legit Winamp skin? 
I may. A few people reached out and I think one of the official Winamp or one of the bigger Winamp Twitter accounts retweeted and sent me some info if I want to re- create that as an actual thing. I don't know if, I, I know there's some versions of Winamp that I don't think they're official anymore, but they still work. So I'll look into it. I don't want to yeah. jump to any, you know, jump in, into something I don't know what I'm doing. We're, we're dating ourselves. Are people still even using Winamp? Apparently, there's still a pretty <laughs> solid community of people creating skins. And uh, it's funny because one of my, I don't think he's directly one of my bosses, but Mike on the community team, I think he leads our community team. He, he got his, one of his starts creating Winamp skins way back in the day. And he was pretty you know, popular online from his skins. So it's kind of cool to see there's a, still a little community going on. Yeah, I was always fond of the, the, visual, the audio visualizations. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really see stuff like that these days. No, no. It's so flat and minimalistic and I I enjoy it. Right. But looking at some of the Winamp, there's a website that I was going on when I was designing this. It's like the Winamp Winamp archive or something like that, or I don't know what it was, but there's just thousands of these Winamp skins and they're all unique and different. It's really cool. Yeah. The flat design really took a lot of the, I would say artistic creativity you remember like the, uh, what are those, you know, the predecessor of Photoshop plugins that you had to install externally those, what was that? Um, the name escapes me like mm. Goopy, you know, it had a weird name. Oh, was it like, oh, I know. I think I know what you're talking about. Those were the, you know, like the plugins that, that, you know, they're third party executables that you kind of, that, that created weird, you know, awesome you know, features on, on yeah. through Photoshop. But yeah, you don't, and then those look really inspiring in terms of like, the, you know, how, how people created the skins. In mm-hmm. Yeah. So as an evangelist, what are some, I guess, you know, like as a designers generally have some sort of like UX designers have some sort of goals, right. And, and, uh, you know, kind of maybe like in terms of design goals and they're trying to achieve a certain goal, in terms of as a design evangelist, what are some of the metrics and, and KPIs that you're kind of judged by? Yeah, so thankfully, we're, we're pretty relaxed on our team. You know, of course, they want us to you know, educate and, you know, host our masterclasses and make videos and things like that. But in terms of very strict KPIs, I don't know if we have very many. You know, when I was running Let's XD, we had some KPIs for that. They were it's funny because they were when we created the KPIs, Let's XD was still kind of ramping up. And so we set the KPIs incredibly high, just as an exciting goal. And we actually blew past it by the time Let's XD was redirected to the new Adobe property. But yeah, we're pretty relaxed over here. We're not looked at as a, a marketing team. So huh. we're not being pushed to sell products. We're literally just out here creating videos and live streaming, not selling anything. It's really, it's a nice job. Yeah, 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 it's really cool. You know, I, I kind of think of you as, you know, when especially the word evangelist, right? Like it's that character in Age of Empires that converts people, mm. <laughs> the priest. Yep. It's an interesting title. I know, I know some people, I, over the years, uh, some people have gotten very strangely defensive by that title on, on Twitter. But yeah, it's, you know, it's a cool, it's a cool title. It's yeah. Cool. Well, as a longtime YouTube creator, aside from the designs, it's work yourself. I'd love to learn more, you know, about any tips for new creators, new channels, like, you know, what, what are some of the, I guess, advice that you have? I was looking at your thumbnails of Photoshop thumbnails of the, your thumbnail game is pretty strong. 
what is your process like in terms of like creation of video? Do you do like, is there a research topic research? How do you come up with thumbnails? How do you come up with titles? Yeah. So in terms of the actual content, a lot of that now nowadays is driven by the community. So they'll tweet me questions all week and I want to learn this in XD or I want to learn that. Sometimes it's just a, a feature. Like I want to learn how to use repeat grids or sometimes it's something very specific. Like I want to create, I'm just looking at my videos now, you know, a shopping widget that changes on hover. So, you know, I usually add a bunch of these to a spreadsheet or a, you know, a note on my computer. And if I see a common theme or if there's maybe an XD release that lines up, you know, last week, or was it this week? I think it was this week. We released uh, an update with a toggle trigger. So, you know, I have had people in the past, how do I create really cool looking toggles and things like that in XD? So I, I used that and combined it with the update to release that video. And sometimes it's just spur of the moment. So the, the Winamp video that I uploaded uh, this morning, when I posted the design on Twitter, some people were asking about audio files in XD. And so I just decided, you know what? I'm gonna put some of the other things that I'm working on the back burner for a few hours. I'm gonna crank this video out and um, it'll be a nice timely follow-up to that dribble and Twitter post. Now in terms of, so thumbnails are funny because if you just scroll on my YouTube feed, they're all over the place. There's no consistent style with them right now. There was for a while when I was doing the Photoshop stuff. And that's because, you know, I look at thumbnails as a billboard for your videos because some people don't see the titles. They just see the thumbnails, especially if there's users who maybe don't speak English. My titles are in English right now. They might just see the, the, the video, the thumbnail and might be enticed to click on that. So, you know, I, I try to make them as enticing as possible, but yeah, there's no, I, I got to do a better job at making them all look <laughs> consistent or something. And then title wise, a lot of it's hit or miss, but we do have an SEO team at Adobe and they help from time to time. But yeah, I try to keep it as simple as possible. Like add audio playback to your Adobe XD prototypes. Hi. I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but it seems <laughs> to work. So I try to make it self-explanatory. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, as a Twitter follower of yours, I, I am so impressed by your, your set home setup and scene and stuff. So I'd love any tips and pointers uh, that you may have. Yeah. So it's a lot of it's back here. It's kind of a mess back there. I can't point. There we go. Yeah. And then of course my desk is up here, but I think I started the process. I want to say December of last year really when everything was getting shut down. Yeah. I was just, I just found myself, it was winter break. So we were off for about a week and a half. And usually my family comes to visit. They didn't come to visit. Neither side um, came to visit because everything was shut down. My family's in Canada. So the borders were closed. So even if they wanted to, they couldn't even come in. So I just found myself, you know, a little bit depressed and looking for something to do and keep myself busy. And I think actually at the time, yes, this was the thing in November or December, something like that. My wife and my daughter went to Florida because my wife's mother got really sick and her grandmother is sick as well. So they went to take care of them. So I just wanted to keep myself occupied, do something exciting. You know, I knew I'd, I'd be in this office, home office all day, every day for who knows how long. And it looks like it could be indefinitely for now. So I wanted a nice space to, you know, call home when I'm working to separate my office from the rest of the house. So I, I just jumped on Instagram, I jumped on Pinterest, I jumped on house and I just started favoriting things that I like small things like plants and little bookshelves and things like that. So I, I had like hundreds of these photos and I started looking through all of them 
and taking little bits and pieces from every single one and trying to come up with something. And, and it's always evolving. I and mean, if you've been following me for a while, you probably have seen the evolution of this office since last November, December. It's just a, it's a process. And of course, yeah. I see you have some lights in the background. Those are always good. I don't have all my lights on right now, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's trial and error. I've gotten rid, rid of a bunch of things that I didn't really like and didn't really fit because when you're looking online, it's, it's very different than placing it in your office in person. You, That's you what I found. Like, yeah. Yeah. One, one of the lights in the back is actually a, a bat signal, but because of the camera focus, you, you really don't get any of that. Right. Yeah. So it's like, ah, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're, you're also a big Lego fan. I see on your feed. Yeah, my wife and I, I don't know if you can see it. And yeah, there's a few of them. There's yeah, the yeah. shuttle Discovery and the International Space Station. Yeah, my wife and I are big into Legos. And we just find that it's it's very calming. We just do it on the weekends. And recently we picked up the Harry Potter Hogwarts set. And you know it takes us a few weekends to do in total. And it, it, it's a nice calming activity to do and just set, disconnect from everything else that's going on in the world. Yeah, it's it really nice. Speaking of toys and stuff from like a Mario, like pixel art kind of guy here. Mm, nice. Um, talk to us about design. Obviously, you know, anyone looking at your feed, you, you've been a designer for a long time. You transitioned from, you know, kind of graphic photo manipulation work to, to UX work here. What's your design journey been like? And then, you know, in, in your mind, what's good design? So in terms of my journey, you know, I started off like many kids do these days, creating terrible looking over the top banners and websites. And of course it was a different time back in, I don't know, 2003, whenever I started tinkering in Photoshop design was looks completely different than it does now. But yeah, I started mostly in Photoshop designing graphics and banners and buttons and things like that. Then I moved on to focus more on photo compositions because I just love taking various scenes and splicing them up and putting them together and creating a, an entirely new story out of photos. And then when I was at a marketing job in 2014, I want to say, I was working very closely with the product teams and I was designing bits and pieces of their apps and websites. And, and then eventually that just kind of continued to spiral from there. And I found that I really enjoyed not only the design side of all that stuff, websites, apps, and all that but I also enjoyed the user experience side because so many of the decisions you make while you're designing will affect the users and it's going to make or break their experience, which I think is why user experience is so important these days because apps are getting more advanced, a lot more buttons, a lot more features, gestures, and things like that. And if you have something that just doesn't work, then users will not connect with it and they'll just drop it. You know, one perfect example, and it's not on this company's fault, it's probably my fault or something. But a, a few years ago, I opened Snapchat for the first time. It was never, you know, I'm getting too old. So all these different apps, I'm like, Snapchat, get off my lawn. Then it was TikTok. But I opened Snapchat and it was, the camera was, this was before they switched the camera to default to front facing. Camera's pointing away from me. I had no idea. Zero idea how to flip the camera around because there's no button that you would think is there. I don't know if there is now, but you had to double tap the screen in order to flip the camera around at the time when I was trying to use Snapchat. Had no idea. Yeah. So it, it, that just drove me off the application. And maybe there was a, a, something that I missed or something, but 
that's all part of user experience, you know, figuring out what's your target audience. If it's younger kids, maybe they know uh, instinctively to double tap on the screen to flip the camera. Clearly I didn't, but yeah, we weren't the demographic. (laughs) No, definitely not the demographic, but I I love those challenges. I love figuring out what the users are going to resonate with, what they're not, what you should be focusing on and all that jazz. And then when you ask about what is good design, that is, that's a big question. I don't know if there's a right answer to that. I think good design is very subjective. I could look at something and say, oh, that is beautiful. And you can look at something and, and the same thing and be like, Ugh, what, you, what is wrong with you, Howard? That's ugly. So I don't know. I think, honestly, I think good design is good user experience in many ways. Yeah. Because if you have a user experience that completely fails to catch your user's attention, it doesn't matter how strong or beautiful the design is, they're not going to see it again. Yeah. So does it solve the problem? And does it, yeah, does it catch the user and and keep them? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know that, for example, just following your feed, like some of this stuff is so over the top, that toggle button with the night and day switch. So awesome and extra, like no, no app in their right mind would <laughs> oh, not at all. No. Put, put, I, put that in, you know, like the amount of work that, that you put in just for an on and off switch. Uh, is yeah. Quite and, and it's funny you mentioned that because I love when I, whenever I post things like this that are clearly over the top, like I'm not even trying to make it seem like this is going to be in an app or something. This is over the top. I love when people comment like, this is stupid. Developers are never going to be able to code this. And my, my response is not everything that's designed has to be coded. Sometimes you just want to design because you're bored or have a cool idea that you want to bring to life or, you know, it, it doesn't have to be coded. You can have fun with design and not have to worry about whether it's developer friendly or not. Of course, if you are developing for an actual app or website, totally different story, but I'm just making cool things because I can't. Just because, yeah, exactly. Because. And, 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 that account, and, and in that sense, it's good design because it's certainly attracted my attention. Like, oh man, actually one of our designers pointed, she's like, oh, you should see one of the, his buttons. It's really cool. And I looked at it like, oh yeah, that's super cool. You know, I think designers geek out over this and then being able to just, you know, have that power in, in XD is, it's a good commercial for, you know, the uh, powers of uh, the features of XD. You I, also I worked at Envato? Envato? I, I did yeah. some uh, courses for them, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I actually, I just wrapped up uh, my first course for LinkedIn Learning and I'll be working on the second batch of videos shortly. So that's kind of cool that I'm able to create content for LinkedIn as well as Adobe. Okay. And yeah. that's not a conflict of interest in any way? No, actually, uh, when he, he doesn't work at Adobe anymore, but somebody who was on the XD team introduced me to LinkedIn. And I think, you know, from their perspective, they probably look at it as, you know, more content, the better. So yeah, as long as I don't do a lot of the work on working hours. Right. Yeah. And it's totally uh, the LinkedIn learning is, is teaching like Adobe XD or Photoshop or. Yep. Yeah. My current course on LinkedIn learning, it's a, it's a weekly course. So every week there's a new video and it's all around tips and tricks. So they're shorter videos. They're straight to the point. Things like creating a toggle switch, not as over the top as the one <laughs> that we were talking about, but simple toggle switches and, you know, what is components designing little bits and pieces of micro interactions and things like that. Yeah. Um, I know you showcase a lot of stuff. Are you also teaching like best design practices and stuff like that? So I touch on them during my master classes, but I haven't 
been able to really sit down and work through specific videos on best design practices. I go off on shadows a lot. It's like one of my pet peeves. When a new designer adds shadows, they're usually very harsh and too much. So I have a pet peeve about shadows and I've been made, meaning to make a video about things like that, you know, shadows and letting your content breathe more, you know, less XD specific, more design specific that can kind of reach across the whole spectrum of tools and design. I just haven't had the time, but I do have a list of things that I want to touch on. So at some point we'll, we'll see that stuff, stuff you hate on shadows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's less, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's hate. I don't know. It could be. <laughs> But I just want to make sure that people are, you know, using the right techniques for their shadows yeah. and not, you know, giving bad first impressions. Yeah. Well, I, for one, uh, am very glad you're bringing skeuomorphic, you know, it's cool again with some <laughs> of the over-the-top design stuff. I, I do like it. I, I don't know how practical it is in this day and age, but I really do like the skeuomorphism. I'm not so sure about the newmorphism stuff, the, you know, the white on white on white on gray. It's, 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 it's bad for accessibility. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's there there are ways I, I've experimented with ways to kind of, you know, make it work without affecting accessibility too much. But at that point, you're almost back to skeuomorphism. But I, you know, I like it because it's it almost feels real, not the pneumorphism stuff, the skeuomorphism stuff. You know, of course, Apple had their big thing in I forget what year it was, iOS seven, I think, where they just completely threw up skeuomorphism all over iOS. And, you know, the felt of the game center and all that stuff. Some of it was over the top, but some of it was really classy and nice. I think it was the calendar possibly it had like a nice leather texture and it's just subtle things like that with a little bit of bevel. It's nice stuff. I ate it all up. Like I was a very much, you know, that, that was kind of, you know, I was getting into design and, and I thought that, you know, it made people feel like, you know, you got into the app a bit more and, and then some, you know, the Apple, the official Apple, the unofficial Apple weblog wrote a scathing article on skeuomorphism, you know, mm. and they, they hated on it and they shat on it. But the funny thing is their, their headline image, they used an app I designed as like, oh, the, like the, the poster child of the cover of like, you know, kind of skeuomorphism gone crazy. Which app was it? It's, it was a, it was a quotes app. And I, I kind of made it look and feel like a, you know, a big old tome of, you know, kind of mm, like the yeah. never ending storybook, you know, of a book of quotes, you know, like a big old book, you know, with, with coffee stains and mm -hmm. kind of leather bound and all that stuff. I just kind of went crazy with the skeuomorphism and they kind of use that as an example of it, you know, kind of go oh boy. <laughs> Hopefully it was good publicity. <laughs> and, you know, at that time, I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah. It was just kind of a throwaway app, but you know, I, I got a few laughs out of it. Yeah. Mm. I think we're going to see a little bit more of that coming back. Not as bad as it was. I don't, oh, I don't want to say the word bad, but not as overdone maybe as it was back when skeuomorphism was really booming. But I find with sometimes with flat design and today's minimalistic world, a lot of like a lot of the, the apps I use on my phone, they all look the same. Sometimes you can't even tell them apart because same navigation bar at the bottom, same header at the top, same color scheme, same everything. Like half of the apps on my phone are, are blue icons and they all look the same. They're just blue icons with the logo. So I think, you know, skeuomorphism and design like that, it almost adds a little bit, it, it gives us more flexibility to add a personal touch to some of the designs and really reach in different directions and kind of pull away from 
this minimalistic world, which again is great, but I want something, I want something tactile, especially as we're getting into the world of like AR and VR. That's going to be really exciting. And I think that's where we're going to see more integrations with 3D objects and skeuomorphism textures and things like that. Because if you're putting on a, a headset, whether it's AR or VR, you want to you want to be able to feel something, even if it's not physically there. You want that impression that you can reach out and touch it. So I think we're going to see more of that in the future. Well, that's a whole different type of interface, right? Because they, mm. that can be kind of virtual objects in real. They don't have to be flat, you know? Yeah, because I think the the flat design is trying to differentiate, hey, the real world is tactile. It's got all these textures and stuff. And then the digital world is flat, you know, because you're mm-hmm. touching a flat screen and they're kind of embracing that. But with VR, I think, yeah, I mean, you, you can have virtual objects that you interact with. So the, those uh, metaphors make sense. Yeah, I'm really excited about the future of mostly AR. VR is cool. I think it'll, it'll have its place, I think, especially once these applications and games get incredibly immersive. But I think AR is going to change the world once it's really rolled out to its full potential. You know, once Apple or Facebook or whoever it is, uh, it really integrates it into a pair of glasses. I don't know where my glasses are, but I want to put on a pair of glasses that look like glasses, but it has a display on it that only I can see. And it just gives me contextual information, whether it's directions or I'm terrible with names. So if it can recognize the people in front of me that I've met before, and it just pops their name up and only I can see it. That'll be great. I would love that. So AR is going to be insane once it's, you know, just imagine when it's in contact lenses or chips in your brain or something. It's going to be a wild world. Isn't there a Black Mirror episode around this? <laughs> there is, yeah. And I am all for it in a strange way. In a strange way. I love that. It can go pretty bad too. Like, uh, you know, if people are distracted by all the AR stuff, right? Like imagine a Google subsidized free AR glasses and they have to monetize some some way. So they're going to just oh, like God. flash it with ads, right? Like if yeah. you're not paying for the product, you are the product kind of thing. Oh gosh. Yeah. Th- yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever thought of that, but that's, yeah. That's, that's people definitely going to be. You know, some people will buy the the whatever thousand dollar pair of glasses, but then there may be like the, the somewhat subsidized version. That's interesting. It's an interesting question. Yeah. That's the last thing I would want is to have, I honestly, I don't think I would, I, I personally would not even consider that if I knew that ads would pop up in my face, like literally almost in my eye as I'm walking down the street, not a chance. Now, of course, if the ads were very, very well integrated into the world, maybe there will be uh, eventually specific billboards that only people with AR glasses can see. And, you know, it'll dynamically put some ads on the billboards or things like on very subtly that you would typically find ads anyway, but those ads can dynamically change based on your AR application. That would be interesting. That would be somewhat okay. But if it's just like blaring ads or pre-roll videos that pop up in your face before (laughs) you can see the person's name in front of you, it's like, no, don't want to deal with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that YouTube experience right now you want to watch a video and then because it's free you're like seeing the pre-roll <laughs> yeah but i'm sure there'll be ad blockers for ar classes <laughs> at some point actually a, a research project i did was pre-mobile phones was a, an ar idea where you know the i used to work at accenture labs and, and mm. one of my research projects was trying to do something around ar related and at the time I didn't have, you know, the, the types of things that we we have now, you know, even like the LCD glasses, they're really big. They were actually probably the size of the, the HoloLens today, but there was no computer attached to it. 
and we mm. tethered it to a, a like a desktop. And then we, we said, well, in the future, computers will be miniaturized, you know, and, and now I think you, you could, like a mobile phone could probably power it, right? But we, oh, yeah. we did those things exactly like you said, where, you know, in the business context, hey, this person shows up, I don't remember the name, maybe you show the name, maybe, you know, some talking points, maybe some common things to bring up, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. As computers get smaller and more powerful, like it's incredible to think that this little phone that I have in my pocket is I don't know how many times more powerful than what was sent, what landed people on the moon in 1967. It's just crazy to think about. But I've always said that eventually computers like the one I'm looking at now, this iMac or my laptop, they'll be completely obsolete because you'll be able to have as much power in your phone as your desktop. So, you know, I'm imagining a world where, you know, there are basically two computers in one. You have your mobile computer or your mobile operating system that you use on the go. But when you get home, you just put your, your phone down and it just, you can continue what you're doing on your, your screen. It just sends everything over. It's just crazy how these computers are getting so, so much smaller and more powerful. Yeah. Well, with AR or VR goggles too, you're not tethered by your screen size, right? The virtual right. screens can be as big as, as you want them to be. Yep. So maybe like the future is it's kind of like that combo of phone and, and AR or VR glasses. Maybe AR and VR glasses are this one and the same, just depending on the opacity, just turns oh. on and off the opacity. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So that went in a totally different way. I, I wasn't expecting <laughs> to converse with Howard on, you know, AR and VR and kind of the future of UX and UI. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's all in the same family, sort of. And, uh, you know, looking in the future, and, and you definitely can't exclude some of this stuff from design thinking. You know, I've spoken to some designers who won't even touch or even look at AR and VR because it's not a website or it's not an app or whatever it might be. But this is the future. AR is going to happen. VR is going to happen. They're probably going to happen a lot bigger than we expect. And we have to be ready for it. We have to be always thinking about new things. We released in XD 3D Transforms not too long ago. And I remember seeing a lot of people, well, I don't want to say a lot, but uh, you know, a handful of people asking why focus on something like this? You know, what is 3D transforms? Who even asked for this? And you should be focusing on other things. And there's obviously a few points to that, that answer. One being, you know, there are lots of different teams who are working on lots of different features that are not 3D transforms, but also no design tool has done that. So we saw an opportunity and we tackled it. And, you know, looking forward at things like AR and VR, 3D transforms are going to be incredibly important to bringing those prototypes to life. It also, it's also for gaming industries and, you know, a lot of interface designers have objects that are slightly transformed and skewed. So, yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're trying to tackle some of that stuff. Of course, we have many products like Arrow and that's, you know, going even further with uh, AR and VR, but, you know, we, we always have to be looking forward and figuring out what's next and figuring out how we're going to properly position ourselves, not just as a company, but also individual designers, how are we going to adapt to the future? Otherwise, we're not going to survive. Yeah. And, you know, actually the original iPhone when released had some, you know, transitions that were 3D. And, mm. and I think you don't really see much of that today. And I think, you know, just because a surface is 2D doesn't mean you can, you, you can't have like, the notion of maybe 3D within, you know, kind of like add some depth and add some dimension. Like I think people certainly appreciated 
Remember the old iTunes interface of CoverFlow? Mm, I uh, love CoverFlow. CoverFlow is so awesome. <laughs> and now with XD, some, some of those 3D transforms, you can do some of that. Yeah. I mean, if you open, if you're on, if you have an iPhone, you open up Safari and you go into the, the pages view where you can see right. all your open tabs, that's 3D. That's it's not flow. like over yeah. the top in your face, but yes, yeah, it's, it's basically cover flow. So a lot of operating systems, mobile and desktop have these very subtle 3D effects and we're seeing more and more of that. And something like 3D transforms is perfect for that. Yeah. Sometimes you just want it to exist <laughs> just for, you know, there you go. for creativity's sake. I mean, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I th- I've posted a few times that if all the different design tools, and this could apply to game, the gaming industry, can apply to a lot of different industries, but if all the different design tools only worked on the exact same features, it would be a boring industry. No one would, you know, there wouldn't be any competition. So at, there are times when Adobe, there are times when Figma, there are times when Sketch has to tackle something that has not been done before because it'll push everyone else to do something different or better or, and it's just better for the industry. Like no one's saying you have to use one specific design tool. If you, if there's certain features in one design tool that you really like, use that. If there's something in another one, use that. But we all have to be tackling something. We have to innovate. And we saw that, you know, with the iPhone originally, when their first iPhone came out, it was like, this is like the greatest thing in the world. No one's ever seen it. Apple took a chance and they succeeded. But then there was this period where it was just more of the same. And it didn't feel like there was innovation, not just from Apple, but a lot of different companies. So I think you know, you've got to take those chances. And it's, it's difficult because sometimes they can fail, but it's exciting and it's good for competition. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of kind of in the old days, you know, Flash was a, a great, you know, the amount of creativity of some of the Flash sites back then made possible that HTML at the time couldn't have done it all. And even today, we really don't see, like I would say as much creativity and, and websites kind of end up all having the same structure, looking the same and uh, having that boring 2D look. And like, I think Flash as an empty canvas really enabled creative people to really imagine what websites could be and push the boundaries. Now you can argue about certain pros and cons of it, but still, you know, you, you had sites like the Flash, you know, the FWA, Flash Web Awards and stuff that I would go, I remember going there every day, you know, because to see some, some cool new way to design or interaction that was never possible before. Yeah, I kind of missed the flash days. Of course, you know, it had to be sent off into the sunset at some point. But you know, now we have CSS3 and we have all these, you know, HTML5 and all these different things. Did I say CSS3? I think I meant HTML5. I don't know what I'm saying. But we have all these different applications to bring websites to life. But you're right. A lot of websites do look the same these days, you know, that's what one reason I love going on Apple's website is every single landing page that they have for all their different products. You can tell how much time they spend on all the transitions, all the scrolling, all the animations and the colors and the typography. I just love looking at that stuff and not just Apple's website, but you know, others do it pretty well too. But I really feel that one of the reasons that so many websites look the same these days is because they're just so easy and you have to crank them out so quickly because sometimes they're done by external studios and you know it really puts a, a time crunch on some of these studios and they don't have time to really sit down with the teams who created sometimes they don't even talk to the teams who created the products that they're designing websites for so they don't really understand what the vision is and i think yeah. when you're designing something internally like i would assume apple is you have access to everybody 
So you can yeah. sit down with Johnny Ive possibly if he was still at Apple and you can really get the sense for where they want to go with this website that's going to showcase and sell this product. We don't see that very often, unfortunately, anymore. No, no, we don't. And it's 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 a it's a matter of timelines and budgets and, and stuff. Like we, I mean, I think for for us, we want to do good work. We want to put in the time, but off, often, yeah, it is the timeline and the, the crunch and cranking yeah. them out. So, yeah. What about you? Do you feel any pressure in terms of your work, in terms of cranking out, you know, the amount of content you push out? Occasionally I do. You know, when whenever we have big events or big launches, of course, Adobe Max is coming up in about six months. And usually that's a pretty large update that we have. So, you know, there's always pressure around that to get not just one video, but sometimes, you know, seven videos out the day of Max. And whenever you're working with a a product that is still in development, you know, there's only so much you can do. Like you can, I'm always testing. We have internal builds every day. So I'm always trying to keep up with new features that are coming at max. And some of them are trying to starting to trickle into the product now, not the public product, but the internal product, but they're never, you don't know exactly. Sometimes features are pulled. Sometimes they're added in last minute. Sometimes they don't work as you envision them to work because you can't test it until, you know, two weeks before the event. And this is all part of the product development. So, you know, it's, it's sometimes a time crunch, but thankfully everyone, not only on my team, but the external teams, they understand this and they understand that I can only do so much. You know, I need a build that has the proper functionality that's UI frozen, but yeah, I mean, I try not to put too much pressure on myself because then that just brings everything down. But yeah, there's, there's always going to be time crunches and things that stress us out, but in general, it's pretty relaxed. Now, as we close up on time, any exciting Adobe XD features you want to talk about? Oh, there's always exciting things. Um, Can I sneak anything? I'm certainly not in a position to talk about things that have not been talked about yet. I know, I do know that a few of our product managers mentioned that we're working on time triggers for components. I don't know what the timeline is on that. Of course, you know, things always move around. So, but that is being worked on. Things like pages are being worked on, but that's a, a very large project that spans across multiple teams. And that's, and, you know, that's definitely one of the trickier things when working at a company like Adobe is that there's so many teams involved in a product, in a feature within a product that seemingly, seemingly seems like something simple, right? A lot of people are looking for more text customization options, right to left support and other things here and there. And certainly not something we're ignoring. But when you have a team at Adobe who handles text engines, then the XD team has to work with that team. They have to get resources from that team. And then they have to work on it specifically for XD and then integrate text. It's like a massive project. And then of course there are there's decision-making processes in place. You know, do we release right to left support and then work on the new text engine? Or do we just, you know, roll that into the new text engine because it'll save some time. And so there's so many different things going on behind the scenes that I think a lot of users aren't necessarily aware of because they haven't worked with product teams before. But yeah, it's it's a process sometimes, but there there's a lot in the works. Some of it you will be seeing in the coming months. And of course at Adobe Max, and then, you know, some of it will be seeing next year. Thank you for giving us a, a glimpse of work, you know, giving us a taste of the, what it's like to work on a product team, especially a big product. 
at least, you know, like I can imagine this is not as, you know, monolithic or, or as big as Photoshop, which has, you know, decades of history, right? Because it's a relatively new product. Yeah, it's, it's both good and bad. XD was built from the ground up with new engines and things like that. That's why it was so fast when it first came out. And it's still fast today. Even though, you know, XD when it came out is very different than XD as it is today because file sizes are getting larger. People are using tens of thousands of components in inside of their documents. So the team is very actively working on several initiatives. I don't know if they've announced it yet, but to, you know, to help performance help file sizes and things like that. But XD is a much smaller team. And that's one of the downsides compared to Photoshop. Photoshop has a lot more resources because they have a lot more users, a lot more money and that sort of thing. So when, you know, when we want to create or add in additional feature, it's hard to get harder to get budgets and resources and things like that. Where Photoshop, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but they can essentially just get whatever they want because they're Photoshop. Make it rain. Yeah, again, that might not be true, but... It's probably more true than on the XD side. Huh. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> no, we're just going to include it in the video. <laughs> but thank you so much, Howard. You've been very gracious with your time. I, of I really course. Thanks it. for inviting yeah. me. Yeah. You know, we, we, I know we've exchanged emails through, through work. So it's uh, exciting to finally have a conversation with you. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.